This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. How you doing? How was your weekend? It was okay. Nothing particularly strange or startling. There was a game of football yesterday that I sat in the garden and watched. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, you know, just kind of getting ready for the new season. I'm prepared. Are you prepared? I'm sure you're prepared. Are Arsenal prepared? That's the question. <laughs> it's really close now, isn't it? The, the start of the season. It's next week. Nail, next Friday. Nail-bitingly close. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I'd love to say I saw the entirety of the Chelsea game. I didn't. I couldn't buy it. I tried to give the club seven ninety nine, and same. they would not take it from me. Same, same, same. I, I, I believe it was to do with a last-minute flurry of people coming along, realizing that they actually had to pay. Seven ninety nine yeah. to watch this game. Um, I, I thought it was part of the membership, um, but there you go. Uh, it, not to be, and I think a, it was a rush of people trying to do it. But I, like you, got caught in that sort of feedback or that loop where uh, I couldn't buy it. But uh, you know, I found an alternative way uh, to watch the game. Um, so yeah, I I saw it. I saw the whole thing. Did you just see bits and pieces? Were you sort of? Um, I saw the first half. And then I've seen highlights of the second. So, mm. um, yeah, I did see a, a fair amount of it. I mean, I, it won't surprise you to hear I'm not a huge fan of preseason friendlies against Premier League teams. No, no. We, we've spoken about this, haven't we? There is something, particularly London teams, and particularly teams that we are going to face in the opening weeks of the season. Um, I, I really, I don't care for it at all. At all. Mm. Um yeah, but look, it is what it is. We've got to get on with it. We've got a game against Spurs, obviously next Sunday, and that will be that will be um, you know one which I think will will grow in importance and weight because it will give us our last look at the team before the season starts. So, do you have any like takeaways from the first half that you saw in its entirety? What would your main takeaway be from yesterday? And again, with the caveat, it is preseason, blah, blah, blah. But we're talking about the game. So uh, what what would you say was your one takeaway? Uh, 
probably that Thomas Partey being injured is quite a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be the main thing. I mean, I, it's we, we, the other thing would be I thought we looked very vulnerable to the counter-attack in that game. And, you know, Timo Werner is a an unpredictable player when t- when it comes to final product. But I, I personally am convinced he's going to have quite a big season next season just because he seems to get so many opportunities. And I thought against this Arsenal side, he provided a real threat in the channels and mm. one we didn't always really look best placed to deal with. How, how about you? What were your big takeaways? Well, I thought Partey was great until he got injured. I was, uh, I was uh, enjoying his performance and thinking, um, you know, Perhaps, perhaps greedily, some might say, but I was thinking when I was watching him turning away from players and <clears throat> really dominating that midfield, I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a similar, not a similar player, but a player of of um, better quality than some of the ones we already possess to partner Thomas Partey in midfield, how, how much that would bring to the team, how transformative it might be. And then I was thinking, well, crap, he's injured. Uh, and I've gone from hoping we get a partner for him to sort of keeping my fingers crossed that he is not injured for any prolonged period of time because mm. I don't know about you, James, but I would find the idea of starting a season with a midfield partnership of Mohamed Elneny and Granit Xhaka somewhat underwhelming. Yeah, I would too. I would too. I mean, that's my other big takeaway, I guess, I suppose from yesterday is, you know, everything that happened with Xhaka, obviously he came on, scored a goal, and then after the mm. match, Mikel Arteta confirmed what, uh, you know, Amy had reported earlier in the week that he looks like he's going to stay at Arsenal. And, I think that's the second time in about two years there's been a big turnaround on Shaka. You know, it felt like he was headed to Hertha Berlin in that January window and he was convinced to stay at that point. It seemed for all the world like he was going to be leaving the club this summer. Mm. Uh, and now I think he's going to stay. And I think we can take that at face value. I don't think, I've seen a few people saying, is it a ploy or is it a negotiating yeah. technique? I really don't think that's what's happening here at all. I think ultimately Roma haven't, come close to matching Arsenal's valuation and that's prompted a rethink. That certainly is what it seems to be from from the outside. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think there's any posturing or anything like that in in terms of how they're dealing with this Shaka situation. I think he's going to stay. Uh, it's, it's a weird one and it's one we've spoken about a bit in recent weeks, the idea that he might stay. Mm. Look, it's sort of, I'm sure, disappointing for him disappointing for fans who are quite happy to move on and and maybe disappointing for the club. I mean, they have to dress it up in a certain way, don't they? They have to say, he's important, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can't sort of come out publicly and say, well, yeah, it's a bit of a shit one. We're stuck with him now. Mm, Just mm. get on with it, I guess. You know, you have to, uh, as a club, I suppose, present that positive face of things. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's underwhelming and, you know... It feels particularly so because I think if Shaka left, you had to, like no question about it, you had to make a midfield signing. I'm not saying we don't need one now, we do, but if Shaka had gone, you absolutely had no way of going into a new season without a midfield signing. And it's yes, st- that's true. It would have been one out, one in. I yeah, think, uh, yeah, and it's still possible that we could make a midfield signing. We could, if we wanted to, bring in a player who could be 
you know, the, 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 the party uh, partner, this fabled party partner. We could still do that. And with Xhaka in the squad and someone like El Nenny, if he goes, then you make your squad better. I think there's a way of, of um, how do you... Uh, how do you say it? Like what appears to be a bad situation, you make the best out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels a bit fanciful at this point that A, we're we're going to sign someone there. B, we might find uh, a buyer for Mohamed El Neni. Um, and it, it's just, it's it's a bit too much more of the same if you know what I mean. Right now, I mean, I accept that something could change and we could make a signing before the season. But right now, it's very hard to feel encouraged by what we've done so far in the market uh, in terms of addressing what is a really important area of the pitch. I know we've brought in Lokongo, we've brought in Ben White, and we, we'll talk about him and uh, Nuno, Nuno Tavares. But, yeah. But do you not think, Andrew, I mean, I know there's a lot of fatigue around mm. Shaka, but when you talk about a player who's a good partner for Thomas Partey, I'm not sure Granit Xhaka's ever done anything to suggest he's not a good partner for Thomas Partey. I, I think he has been pretty good with him. I would accept that. I would accept that. I think it's a bigger issue with Xhaka, though. It's not mm. to say he's incompatible with, with Thomas Partey. I don't think that's the case at all. And, you know, if you could get performances out of Granit Xhaka um, that we saw at the Euros, for example, that would be great for Arsenal mm. next season. But what it is is... Um, it was like the, the, the carrot of change was dangled in front of us, if you know what I mean. After five yeah. years of Granite Jacket, like if it was one year or two years, it's five years. And I'm not, uh, not going to uh, coat him off or anything like that. I think he's a good player. You know, he is a good player. He's had his moments which weren't so good, but I just think that the... the like, if you ask me, would I prefer to keep Xhaka or El Nenny, it's Xhaka. Mm-hmm, but it mm-hmm. just felt like that was the, the... Because he's so fundamental as a part of the team, that how do you improve without moving him on? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do understand that. I, I just think that the discussion of, like, we need someone who, who can dovetail with Partey, I think mm. for next season at least, I think there is sort of evidence to suggest Xhaka can do that. Whether or not, you know, let's say Shaka had gone mm. and, I don't know, Ruben Neves comes in. I think there were plenty of Arsenal fans who didn't necessarily see that as an immediate upgrade. Mm. Um, whether or not that's true or not, it's hard to say, of course. We're sort of in sort of the... I think the carrot of change is always alluring. I think that's part of why there's such clamour for James Madison over Martin Odegaard. It's because, like, we've seen it. Anything we've seen mm. and that hasn't got us to where we want to be, we're like, oh change it and I do understand that impulse but I just think this Shaka situation is a little bit more complex you know I I think we had a conversation months ago about being in consensus that it was probably right for him to leave this summer but part of the reason for that was this idea that after an excellent season in the Premier League and with two years remaining on his contract he would actually be a player who could attract some decent revenue like he made sense as a kind of sacrificial sell but if that value just isn't there what do you do like do you just cut your losses some people say you should Mm. 
I don't know if Arsenal can do that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how serious Roma's bid was or how, how far below the valuation. Um, you know, as I said in the Arscast on Friday, I think, you know, the, the, the fact that we weren't willing to compromise means it wasn't close to what our valuation of him was. It raises a bigger question, though. Like, if Shaka had an excellent season last season, I think he was good. There were a couple of moments, obviously, that weren't so good, that were very costly in the end. Yeah, and more of an excellent second half. To the yeah, season, you know, there was a consistency to his game. Um, but I think that the question it raises for me is, you know, here is a 28-year-old with loads of experience who's captain of his national team who, you know, is available for a relatively... Uh, affordable fee. It's not like Arsenal were looking for 50 million for Granit Xhaka. No, I think no. something like 20 million and the deal would have been done with Roma. And he's coming off a good tournament. He's like coming off a good European championships. Why is nobody bidding? Why is nobody yeah. after him? You know, so there comes a point where the perceived value that we have in him as a player or as a character or whatever is not reflected in the way the market has re- reacted to his to his availability, everybody knows. But is you know, that more about the player or more about the market? Well, that's the thing. I don't know. I think it could be a little from column A, a little from column B, because the market yeah. is is weird, and I accept that it's weird and everything else, but that no other club beyond Roma has made any kind of approach for, for Xhaka, who I think you know could do a good job for plenty of clubs around Europe. Yeah, it's, there was an interesting weird piece. One. Tom Wervel did like a... a, a a breakdown of the business that's happened so far in the window. And one of the things, one of the trends he discovered across Europe is that players, uh, clubs are buying much younger players, basically, yeah. in the same way that Arsenal have done. There isn't as much of a market for these guys in their late 20s. Um, the one place there is one is Serie A because they love <laughs> experience over there. But even they are kind of operating within quite stringent budgets in that area. So... Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's a really interesting one. Is it the player or is it the market? Um, I, I'm tempted to say the market is a huge factor here because if not, it's all our players because we can't sell anybody well, right now, it feels like. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true. We haven't sold anyone. We haven't sold a, a first-team player. Mm. We've loaned Ganduzi, and I know there's an obligation for Marseille, so technically you could say that's a sale or it will be a sale in, in 12 months' time. But beyond that, we haven't sold anyone. We haven't sold Xhaka. We haven't sold Enkedia. We haven't sold Nelson. We haven't sold blah, blah, Willian. You know, all the Joe names. Cool these yeah, guys, all yeah. the names that have been linked with departures. Now, I, 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 yeah, I really think that there is going to be a massive push towards the end of the window which makes it difficult to balance um, your incomings versus outgoings. And it's not ideal because you want players in place for the start of the season and everything else. Mm. I get it. But I do think this particular market will get to a point where clubs who need players and clubs who need to sell players, that kind of Venn diagram will start to overlap a bit more where there's room for compromise and, you know, really... Um, a need for maybe even players themselves to push for certain things to happen to ensure that they get playing time and they're not in a squad, for example, at Arsenal, where potentially we may be in a situation like last year where certain players cannot be registered because we've got too many players in the squad. 
So I think yeah. the market will dictate to a certain extent, but it doesn't make it any easier for us or it doesn't calm our nerves as we're heading towards the opening game of the season. Just going back to Shaka, what do you make of the um, the contract offer? Mm. What Does that make sense to you? Can you see logic in it? Does... You know where 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 do you stand on that? Like uh, and also like a an offer apparently to Hector Bellerin to extend mm-hmm. his contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does it say? I mean, maybe there's something to this that we're missing. But what does it say about uh, a club who is quite willing to let two senior players go? And we think that's the case with with Shaka, and we think that's the case with Bellerin that they're willing, quite happy, to let them go if the deal is right. But they're also looking to extend their contracts. That's confusing. Well, it is and it isn't, in that I don't think Mikel Arteta was ever desperate to sell either of these players. I'm not saying we're I th- desperate. I think that's, you know. I well, think, let me put it like this yeah. I don't think he would have wanted to sell either of them. I think this was about the players' wishes to go in both instances. You know, Granite Shaka was very clear. He wanted a change, and he considered this an attractive offer from Roma. Mm. I don't think that means that Shaq, that Arteta thought, "Well, I hope I can get Shaka out the door." I really don't believe that. Sure, okay, I, yeah, I, 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 I and, see that. Yeah, and in Hector's case, I think it's similar. I think uh, he has wanted to leave Arsenal for a few summers now, and has been asked to stay. I think the same would be true this uh, summer, but I think. Um, as far as I know, the management were only prepared to let him go if they felt they had somebody better mm. coming in. And that doesn't seem to be the case. I am surprised about the new contract offers, nevertheless. Like, I, what I don't know is what sort of contracts these are. You know, Eddie Nketiah was offered a new contract this summer. It doesn't mm. mean that, you know, he, they're going to build the team around him. It's a way of protecting the value of the asset. Um, maybe the offers made to Shaka and Bellerin are similar. Mm. And with Bellerin, there's talk that he may leave on loan. I mean, I'd, I'd be a little bit surprised if that was allowed to happen, but maybe the contract is put a way of ensuring that you know his value doesn't diminish if he does go out on a loan spell. Do you think maybe they're looking ahead to a time when, you know, perhaps after a season when fans are back in stadiums all across Europe, the financial impact of the pandemic is lessened and therefore clubs have more money. And these guys, if we can't sell them now in this market, we might be able to sell them in next summer's market. That feels like a bit of a gamble all the same. Yeah, I mean, I think that probably is part of the plan, but I have to say it's not one I have huge confidence in. I'm not sure the financial repercussions of the pandemic will be over no, <laughs> for no, football no. clubs in 12 months' time. I agree. I'm not sure they'll be over within the lifespan of these contracts. Um, that's what's going to be really interesting. I mean, ultimately, when you turn down money for a player, the question is, are you ever going to get anything better? Um, you know, Arsenal turned down whatever it was for Ainsley Maitland-Niles, 15 million from Wolves, something like that. You know, they'll, they'll be lucky if they if they get an offer close to that for him at this point. 
with Shaka, with Shaka, I think you're probably not going to get that. I mean, he's going to be 29, nearly 30 next summer. I, it feels like the assessment that's been made is what's more valuable to us, the money that Roma have put on the table or the contribution the player can make. And it mm. feels like they've decided the contribution the player can make. Personally, I'm, I'm not that surprised because Mikel Arteta shows us, has shown us what he thinks of Granit Xhaka. Yeah, that's fair. Um, time and time again. But I think for the health of the club and the evolution of the team, I think, yeah, it is under it is underwhelming. And I think people were ready for more change mm. than what we're likely to get. And in fairness, I think the club <laughs> were trying for more change than what we're likely to get. But, you know, we as Arsenal fans, I think, all feel that our team are poor sellers and... I think that's right. Historically, we have been. What I can't be so sure about is how much of that is to do with the context. You know, I'm not looking at another Premier League club, apart from ones who are selling Jack Grealish or potentially Harry Kane, bringing in a load of cash this summer. I, I don't see that happening anywhere. Apart from, apart from Brighton. Apart from Brighton, who've had an absolute <laughs> windfall, yeah. And let me tell you, Sheffield United are rubbing their hands together. But apart from that, yeah. no, I, I, I don't... Think, I think it's difficult, isn't it? It's a really difficult time to sell players and to know what you should accept now versus what you might be able to get if you hold on. Well, that's it. I mean, look, do you worry about that, though? Do you worry about Captain Hindsight coming along and saying, you should have taken that bid or this was a ridiculous bid to yeah. accept? I mean, you make the point about Ainsley Maitland-Niles and I think, you know, at the time when that bid was rejected, that £15 million bid was rejected... I think most people were kind of on board with that because he'd played a yeah. big part in winning, helping us win the FA Cup. He'd made it to the England squad. And there was a sense that his trajectory, even if it wasn't necessarily going to be long-term at Arsenal, was on the up and up. And now... 15, I agree, I you agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's an element of time. Similarly with the Aubameyang contract renewal. At the time, That's I think most people were in favour of giving him a new contract look how important he was his role in winning us the FA Cup uh, you know now a little while later it's more open to criticism because mm -hmm. you know he can't seem to score a goal in preseason. Um, I know we made the joke about him not using up any of his goals but I mean he's taking it to ridiculous levels now at this point there were a couple of chances in the second half that a player of his quality and calibre really should have done better with are you are you in any way worried about Obama Yang at this point? Or, you know, should we judge preseason in that way at all? Is it all about what he does when, when the games start to matter? It is, of course, all about that. But I think you would be an unusual Arsenal fan <laughs> if you weren't a bit worried mm. at this point. It's not because it's not just preseason, is it? It's the kind of lackluster season we saw from him last year. Um, how much he appeared to drop off. I yeah. mean, I've been in very much in the camp of, I don't believe this is kind of terminal physical decline. I think, you know, there was a lot of factors in the way he felt and the way he was playing last season. And I believe he can sort of have an upturn at this point. But uh, pre-season is doing its best to make that prediction mm. look foolish. That's for sure. Um, I guess the positive, as always with Aubameyang, He's getting in the positions, you know, yeah. and by law of averages, 
he will start putting some away. Uh, worth pointing out as well that, f- uh, you know, the two chances he had late in the game were when he was playing as the centre forward and not doing runs up and down the left wing, which was something, uh, even in a preseason game, I wasn't um, wasn't too happy seeing again, you know? Mm. Mm. I wonder if we will see it, a bit of it, though. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, left mm. wing's an interesting position in this team, isn't it? I mean, we 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 don't have the obvi- obvious solution there. I mean, it's probably one of Pepe or Saka, but it's not yet clear yeah. definitively which. Saka or Martinelli, maybe. Or Martinelli um, as well, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, while we're dwelling on the, the slight negatives from yesterday, the defending, that was a bit scary, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't great at all. I mean, on the first goal... I'm not exactly clear what happens. Rob Holding seems to step up very high and basically mm. take himself out of the game. I mean, that flank of Holding and Chambers mm. um, did look a little bit exposed, didn't it? Especially against Werner's pace. It did. I mean, do you think this is this is what the idea is, to play with a higher line this season and um, maybe use Ben White as somebody who can deal with that space a bit better you know when you're leaving it felt it felt that way it felt intentional I just think that Holding and Marie maybe aren't the best pairing to execute that plan Mm. Um, I know Marie's quite positionally astute but yeah I mean it it felt like it played into Chelsea's hands a little bit and we did look vulnerable and of course the second goal we gave away was just a really basic kind of individual error wasn't it it was uh, yeah poor pass from Hector who just come on but that's not really an excuse for not being able to play a five yard pass to a teammate straight to a potential new teammate Tammy Abraham <laughs> uh, who scored uh, a goal did Burned Leno worry you at all not from what I saw, but from the way you've asked that question, I suspect the answer is that he did worry you. So yeah. t- do inform me what I, I may just have missed. I think his decision-making when he's playing the ball out from the back is is increasingly scatty. I don't right. quite know what's going on with him. Um, I do have some concerns about him, only that it's, it seems kind of an accepted truth that all is not well with him and, and Arsenal um, in that, you know, there are no talks about a new contract. He's got two years left on his current one. Certainly my understanding is there's an expectation that he'll probably move on next summer. Mm. Um, and I just wonder, goalkeeper for me is such a position where sort of psychology and the mental side of things is so crucial, maybe more so than in any area of the pitch. And I just slightly worry about that. Um Mm. degree of focus do you know what I mean yeah yeah I, I I feel like as well he's a guy who is uh, you know as it stands in this squad really our only option in goal yeah I mean right now 100% you know because um, you can't throw that um, kid in you know no exactly or, or Runison or you know you, you just can't he even if he is going to go he still is going to want to play this season. Yeah, and he's got to earn a move somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think he really needs to feel the heat of competition really mm. um, quickly. And again, we talk about midfield and we can talk about attacking midfield and, and everything else. Uh, our issue in that area is not numbers. We have numbers. We have players whether we rate them or whether we think they're good enough or whether we think we can improve with them. That's 
another question. We we don't have a goalkeeper. We do not no. have a number two goalkeeper, and that has got to be done before the start of the season. Surely, like you can't run the risk of of going into the new season with uh, a Conquo or Runerson as the number two. An injury to Leno, a sending off for Leno. You know, and you're playing one of those guys against Chelsea or Man City. Yeah. Yeah, you know that that feels to me as much as I want a central midfielder, and I really do. That feels to me like the most pressing issue that we've got right now. It is that that's the one they have to solve before the season starts. I think. Like, what are we? Uh, you know, a week and a half away from that, really. So, I think we all know about the Ramsdale interest. I think that one probably has a few more days to run and if they can't get an agreement I think they'll be forced to move on mm. and they'll have to do something even if it's short term I mean I've heard potentially they they might look at another loan um, just to get someone experienced in who can provide cover mm. which makes a degree of sense you know if you can't get uh, the player you want or if you can't see the right option available go for a loan I mean ultimately the Matt Ryan loan signing was one that worked that was quite effective he gave us covering games yeah. he provided a bit of competition I think a lot of people will wonder why Arsenal didn't just proceed and, and make that deal permanent um, but that I think they may end up doing something similar and they, yeah that is the urgent one it is it is. Um, hopefully not the only one. Um, I mean... Just let, a quick thing yeah. on the deadline for that, by the way. Ramsdale's got a, a, a League Cup game uh, a week tomorrow, the Tuesday the 10th, in theory. And obviously playing in that would cup make him ineligible him. to be Arsenal's Cup goalkeeper, which would basically be well, the point of signing him. In the League Cup anyway, yeah. Yeah, um, in the League Cup. So the first half of the season. So I think that that... Um, will provide some sort of notional deadline. It mm. wouldn't surprise me if Arsenal explore other options before then just yeah. to try and have things in place, but that may be the point at which that one kind of falls down yeah. or doesn't. Okay, I'm, I'm sure we'll have some more transfer questions in part two. I think we should talk a little bit about our first side of Ben White came on, yeah. rescued a situation that we made a complete mess of and gave Chelsea a brilliant chance to score with a ball over the top and yeah I mean he came on looked good I mean he must have thought what the fuck am I having to do here so quickly into my Arsenal career but you know get used to it mate you're going to have to do it you're 50 million pounds it's all on you he's going to have to be the reincarnation of Franz Beckenbauer crossed with I don't know Bobby Moore crossed with Tony Adams some of those people are not dead so yeah um, yeah yeah well I mean you know We weren't terrible defensively last year. I think it's worth remembering. Yeah. And that's a lot of people's objection to signing Ben White is that, you know, we we weren't awful. But I think um, it was good to see him. We haven't spoken since he sort of formally joined. And I, I, I have obviously concerns over the size of the price tag. But, you know, I do think he looks like a really interesting player and could be a really important player for Arsenal over the next you know, five years or even longer. Mm. Um, Obviously, we need it to work because it's been a big investment. But I think in theory, he does have the attributes required. I like like the idea of the signing. Obviously, at this point, we can't tell whether this is going to be money well spent, but I like Mm. the idea of it. And, you know, he does... um, you know, command that extra bit of money because he's English, he's homegrown, he's um, 
not is he did he play for England is he an actual England international yeah he has right. he played in the warm up game right so. okay so you know that that all feeds into the price but I, I do like the idea of it and it's clear that he's been brought in to, to do something quite specific from that central defensive position and we, you know we talked about that in the Patreon podcast if people want to go and listen myself and Phil what sort of role he might have in the in the team but it, you know it, it's quite interesting isn't it that he signed on well whatever it was officially signed on Friday mm-hmm. was that when it went down and he's in the team on Sunday you know so yeah, there's no he's been hanging on around yeah yeah so it's not like he's had loads of training behind the scenes to be ready for this I mean mm. he's thrown pretty much straight in I think he'll start the Brentford game probably yeah um, well I mean you? yeah I think he should he's a 50 mm. million pound signing Mm. So start him. Absolutely. I don't think, you know, it's, it, we keep saying this, but it's not a case that when players go on the ho- holidays, they let their hair down and, you know, pack on the pounds and stuff like that. So uh, most of them anyway, um, you know, <laughs> but I think he's going to be physically ready to start that game. And hopefully after, you know, a couple of weeks of training with the team, he's, he's more uh, in tune with what's going on around him. I mean, I have to say, though, you know, we lost and people don't like losing and nobody likes losing to Chelsea, and I I get that. But I did think in general, despite some of the the absurd defensive moments that were Mm -hmm. worrying, there was some stuff to like from Arsenal in the game yesterday. Uh, Smith Rowe hit the post. Uh, I think we should have had a penalty with Thomas Partey. Joe Willock scored an actual goal, which wasn't given. Great finish. As Great well. and finish. A nice pass from Lukonga in the build-up to that one. That was lovely. That was a yeah. lovely pass. Uh, I did like what little I saw of him yesterday. Um, again, early days, but you know, to have that little pass in his locker was very encouraging. Um, Tavares got forward quite well. Showed some nice stuff in the opposition final third. I mean, here's a question for you. Um, you know, when we're talking about the the sameness of our midfield. The, the you know, oh, shit, here we go again, this of Shaka Al-Mani. Yeah. Like, look at what Joe Willock did yesterday. I mean, he came mm. on, he was on for 20 minutes, he scored a goal. The, is that not something we should be, in the absence of, um, you know, anything in the market, or until such time as that happens, is that not something we should be really considering, maybe not so much even as a starter, but certainly as an option from the bench. Maybe, yeah. I mean, one thing I was thinking just there is, you know, Lukonga's not someone who I envisage being a first-team starter right away. But if Thomas Partey is injured, I'm I'm not sure what Mohamed Elneny can do that Lukonga can't, based on what I've seen so far. Mm. And I know that I would be more excited to see Shaka and Lukonga than Shaka and Elneny. Or equally, as you say, Shaka and Willock potentially I, my only thing about that is I kind of feel like Willock maybe to get the best of him he requires a bit more freedom than that you know yeah, 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 to yeah. be the third I, I, midfielder yeah I wasn't really talking about him being one of two but I, I was just talking right, about yeah. him being a midfield option uh, at least from the bench because you know like you said we know what Elneny can do it's pretty staid it's pretty average he's a lovely guy but he's not gonna drive the kind of um, improvement in the team that we require. Mm. Whereas, at least with Willock, there is a tangible end product to what he can bring to the team. And I know the roles are very different, so I'm not saying it's 
Willock in place of El Nenny. I'm just saying that, you know, at a point where we're accepting that the transfer market is difficult, where perhaps things haven't gone quite the way we wanted, and therefore we have to recalibrate and rethink about how we're going to do things until such time as we can figure that out, having the, the, the potential for, you know, Willock to come on and Willock his way into the game, I think it's something we should lean into. Yeah, I think, well, I think we'd be mad not to use him while we have him, for mm. sure. And I think, you know, ultimately, I think whether he stays or goes probably will come down to if Arsenal buy another attacking midfielder or not. Mm. Um, you know, if you sell Willock, but then you don't get another number 10 or, you know, attacking midfield player, the burden on Emil Smith Rowe at that point is huge, probably too great. So. Yeah, I think uh, it's a fascinating one. Newcastle keeps saying we're waiting for a decision from Arsenal, so we have to assume the ball is kind of in our court on that one. Um, but I, I thought there were things to be encouraged about. I mean, Willock's impact was one. I thought Smith Rowe was yep. dangerous. Yep. I thought Partey obviously was very good until the injury. Um thought Pepe good. was good. Pepe was good. I thought, you know, uh, Kieran Tierney had his moments as well, got forward well. So... Mm. There were things that were encouraging. We created chances, which has been a big problem for this team, of course. Didn't take them all, but there you go. Um, I think, obviously, a pre-season defeat kind of hurts more when it's to a Premier League rival, theoretical rival. Yeah. And that's one of the frustrations of having these games. The, the result feels maybe more significant than it should. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the positives and negatives, it's always going to be the way. I mean, I, I the Aubameyang on the left thing... I know it's been done to death, but like I was a bit, you know, watching him, watching overlaps and watching Aubameyang trying to cross with his left foot for mm. an, for someone else to score just made me wish that there was someone else in the Aubameyang position and Aubameyang was in the middle to not score, mm. you know, but you know what I mean? It just felt, I don't know what we're trying to learn from that. What are we trying? We may to- not be trying to learn anything, though. Yeah. I think we may just be getting minutes in Lacazette's legs. You know, who knows? Mm. Who knows? I mean, you would never put it past Mikel Arteta because he did it a lot in the past. But the second half of last season, I think we barely saw that. I'm trying to remember now, mm. but I don't think we saw a lot of Aubameyang on the left. So I would be surprised if he went back to it. Um, certainly, once Saka comes back. I think it'll be one or the other of Aubameyang and Lacazette. I, yeah. I think that uh, if you're picking based on form and sharpness and who looks there and who doesn't, I think there's a debate between Aubameyang and Lacazette. I really do. Um, but yeah, I think it should be one rather than both. Yeah, maybe that's a debate we can have uh, closer to the closer time. Closer to yeah. the time. Well, it's close enough. It's, uh, it's pretty close, yeah. It is. I mean, um, the other thing about the game... Obviously, Joe Willock came on and scored. I thought Eddie Nketiah came on and looked sharp. And that's been a bit of a theme of pre-season. I mean, maybe he just knows that there are eyes on him and mm. his future is, um, you know, up for grabs, essentially. But I think he has looked sharp 
throughout uh, these friendlies and credit to him because he's a player who seemingly doesn't have much of a future at Arsenal yeah um, I mean we did have some questions on that so I might as well just do one before I go on, into, yeah. into the break uh, from Sean who's at mean sake or mean sake I'm not quite sure he says in light of his pretty stellar work in, in build up and the box uh, do we keep Nketiah for 20-30 minutes a game really love the look of him yesterday and we know he has goals in him if we seem keen to play Aubameyang left wing the depth could really help us I mean he has as I think, in fairness to him, um, done as much as he can do in pre-season to, to, to either push for more minutes with Arsenal or to show other clubs that he's, you know, he's around and he could be a good purchase for them. I think he has, he's worked hard and, and done pretty well in pre-season. So, I mean, where do you, where do you see him? And do we know if uh, Balogun was injured? Was that a situation? Don't know, actually. Not sure about that. Mm. Um, but with Nketiah I mean I guess he's showing us a little bit of what we presume Mikel Arteta must have seen in training to have uh, you know brought him back from Leeds when he did and kept him at the club when maybe it would have been better advised to sell or loan him last January mm. um, and I think it's I'm pleased for him that he's shown a little bit of that albeit in friendly games I'm not sure it dramatically changes anything regarding his long term future I mean you know, we talk about Abemian on the left, but we listed three good left-sided options earlier, almost, you know, without hesitation. Mm. Pepe, Saka, Martinelli. You would have to include Smith-Rowe as someone who could play in that role too. Um, Reese Nelson can do it. We're not short of wide players. So I do think Abemian will play most of his football through the middle. And if Lacazette is still around, I just don't think there's any need to... Keep and I actually think for his career, he probably sh- should look to go and play regular football. I think that is clearly the next step for him. Mm. Um, I mean, I think where it gets more interesting is that thing of like, you know, could Arsenal... Well, yeah, if Arsenal had sent him out on loan in January last year, who knows? They might be able to attract superior bids for a guy who clearly does have goal-scoring potential. But as it stands, um, we're not getting the offers that we want. But I still think he is kind of one of the big hopes in terms of actually bringing a bit of cash in. Mm, Okay, well, look, we'll see what happens with him. It does feel like, you know, given the, the, the contract offer, which was then turned down... Yeah. Um... Yeah, look, it seems clear what what should happen, whether it happens or when it happens. uh, We'll wait and see. But look, we're going to take a a quick break. Uh, We're under a bit of time pressure today because you've got to go relatively soon. So we'll uh, go into the break, come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. And also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Just to let you know that if you are a member uh, on Patreon, we have uh, just launched or renewed our Fantasy Football League for the upcoming season. Exciting stuff, James. I'm uh, looking to finish last Again, well, I say Pushing again, bottom spot. I was pipped to the post by some scoundrel right on the last day of the season. I thought I'd done it, but some guy, um, he got there before me. So I'm determined to do it this season. If you want to play, if you want to be part of the league, you can sign up to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. We have got the league, but we've also got good prizes. There's, uh, I think it's uh, 400 euros and an Arsenal shirt for the winner. And prizes going down to 200 euros, 100 euros with Arsenal shirts for second and third place. Fourth place, you get an Arsenal shirt. And of course, because you came fourth, you get an actual trophy. So if you want to be part of the Fantasy Football League and get access to all the other stuff we do on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Right. Let me ask you this one first, because you guys mm-hmm. uh, wrote a story in The Athletic uh, last week about our interest in Lautaro Martinez. Is that how you say mm-hmm. his name? Lautaro? Lautaro, uh, I think. La- Lautaro. Martinez. He is an Argentinian striker. He scored 17 goals for Inter Milan and uh, got about 10 assists last season as well as they won Serie A. And Arsenal were, I think, if I'm paraphrasing here, if I get it wrong, please correct me, but encouraged or given some encouragement that a bid might be possible or successful uh, this season. So uh, Laguner Grumpy says, if there is truth in the Martinez rumours, how would this signing affect Aubameyang? As a largely confidence player and with no uh, likely buyers could that make it even harder to get performances out of him this season how we you know you you i think said in the piece it would probably be dependent on lacazette going and making space in the squad for for a new signing up front Mm. but how does a high profile striker signing tally or marry with the presence of obamiang as the club captain and, um, you know, a very senior figure in the team and dressing room. Well, I guess you put one of them on the left. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's a really interesting, this one, because the original reports, I think, came out of Italy, maybe, mm. about Arsenal, or maybe it was even Argentina, um, about Arsenal being interested in Lautaro. And I have to confess, I kind of furrowed my brow and thought, or raised my eyebrows even and thought that doesn't seem particularly plausible. Mm. Obviously, since then, um, we've had a proper look into it. And basically, Inter Milan's situation is that they probably need to sell somebody else. They sold the right-back Hakimi to PSG, but there's interest in Lukaku from Chelsea and other Mm. places. But they obviously don't want to lose Lukaku. Consequently, they might consider selling Lautaro. Um, 
Why would he move to Arsenal from the Italian champions? Good question. The short answer is money. He is not one of the best played, best paid players at Inter and Arsenal would probably substantially increase his salary. So mm. I think that would be a factor. I guess as well, you know, I'm obliged to say all the stuff about an exciting project. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 number nine is something that Arsenal are really looking at. I mean, we did a story the week before about Tammy Abraham being under serious consideration. Mm. But it is all dependent on somebody going. And the way this Lautaro thing came up is through talks over Hector Bellerin and his availability was uh, mentioned and he's someone Arsenal have wanted for a long time. I believe Alexander Lacazette's name was also mentioned in those conversations with Inter Milan. That would obviously be a brilliant solution for Arsenal if they said... Oh, yeah, we'll take Lacazette off your hands. Um, mm. I'm a little bit dubious as to how likely that is. And I, 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 I think if there's an opportunity to make this Martinez deal work, I think the club will take it. But I do have the strong impression that it will depend on somebody going out. And that feels like where it will fall down. I mean, look mm. at the Shaka situation. Look at the Bellerin situation. Look at all the problems Arsenal are having moving players on, particularly when they're in kind of their late 20s. So... Yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely one to keep an eye on because the club's interest is absolutely serious. They really, really like this player and it's seen as a, a an unusual opportunity to mm. sign a player of a, real, a lot of talent. And I kind of think, to be honest, if that comes up and you can afford to do it, you should probably do it anyway. Um, if, he, if you really believe he's a kind of transformational player who can take the club into its next era because if we're completely honest neither Lacazette nor Aubameyang are the future are they I mean part of me wonders if they should be saying to Inter what about Aubameyang <laughs> you know yeah um, yeah if they believe this Lautaro guy is that good and I don't I, I can't honestly say if he is or not I don't know I haven't done enough research to yeah Mm. Uh, I mean, just, just on a follow-up from that then, yeah. um, Rian, who's at Rian Vacha on Twitter, says, how many exits do you realistically see happening between now and the end yeah. of the window? I would want Runerson, Bellerin, Cedric, Kalasinac, Elneny, Torreira, Willian, and probably Lacazette, Eddie, Maitland-Niles, and Nelson. But genuinely can't see more than half of those happening. I, I asked... Um, by the way, if there was a return date for Lucas Torreira and was, oh, yeah. and was told that they couldn't give me a date. So that mm. doesn't sound like he's coming back anytime soon. I don't think he's going to be on the pitch against Brentford. <laughs> no. No. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really, Renison's a really interesting one as well. I mean, he was seemed to be set to head to Turkey. That move fell through. He was actually added to the subs bench late in the day mm. yesterday. It was almost like they were trying to sneak him back into the squad without anyone noticing. Um, how many do I realistically expect to go? I mean, let me just count those. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Eleven, maybe? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Eight, yeah, eleven. That's like a whole team. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, there, there are some squads carrying a lot of extra weight. I mean, I think Chelsea had 29 players at the Emirates yesterday and they haven't even got their England players back yet. So, mm. like you said earlier, there is surely going to be a flurry of activity. I think 
I think Runison will go um, before the deadline. Kalasinac? Yeah. Um, Bellerin? I think that's I think that's more difficult. Cedric? I I don't think he'll go. Willian? If we've learned anything from England's progress to the final of Euro 2020 is that you can't have too many right backs. Um, that's the lesson <laughs> Michael is going to take into next season. I, I, I think Runison, Kalasinac, um, Nketia. Nelson? I saw, saw a story that uh, Crystal Palace would like him on loan, but with a guy who's got a year left on his contract... Unless- I mean, it would be a precondition of a loan that he signed a new contract. You'd have to think. Yeah. Um, maybe Nelson, maybe Maitland-Niles. I think of that 11, maybe half a dozen will go. I, don't, I, I think it just feels too much mm. to think that they will all happen at this stage. You'd want to have a chunk of that tied up already. And, and where it gets tricky now is sort of, although availability might increase in the last few days, the window of business might increase, you get into that weird kind of brinkmanship of well, we don't want to let X go unless we know we can bring mm. Y in. And, if, you know, the clubs insist on waiting until the very end, but there are disadvantages as well as, as advantages to that. I mean, how confident are you that, that they'll go? Well, if you... I think we did talk about this at the start of the summer and someone said uh, in a question, can you dig up your departure um, things? And, of course, I can't find them and I can't remember what episode it was on. But I think at the start of the the summer when Mikel Arteta was talking about the need to be ruthless in terms of reshaping the squad. I think that was the word that he used. And, you know, I didn't just apply that to players coming in. I applied it to, you know, dealing with some of the players that we have in the squad right now who we want to move on. I think I would have been more confident. Here we are, though, in August. And there's been barely any movement out. And what, mm-hmm. what's interesting about this is that, like, for a lot of those players, there is literally no interest or certainly no reported, so, no reported interest, public yeah. interest in those players. Inter Milan for Bellerin. There was that Turkish club for Runerson. Nobody's been after Cedric. I think there was some spurious talk about Fenerbahce. Uh, Kalasinac, not a word. Almeni, not a word. Torreira, not a word. Willian, few little bits like the Inter Miami thing and I think there was a club in in was it Dubai or something last week that was doing the rounds but that was immediately shot down um, in Kedia I think there was a, a bid wasn't there from Crystal Palace that we turned down not a word I'm not of, sure but yeah, but yeah that was reported yeah yep. not a word about Lacazette not a word about Maitland-Niles not a word really uh, about Nelson until this thing uh, last week or over the weekend about Palace taking him on loan so, you know, that's worrying. If you want to move these players on, and I understand why people do, but there doesn't seem to be a great deal no, of the, interest. interest. <laughs> no, and I, I think if our spending and, and sort of uh, income predictions, I think we both had Arsenal bring in quite a lot of money this summer. Um, yes. Certainly, certainly in my case, I think it was like north of... Uh, you know, somewhere between 50 and 100 million. And that seems 
ludicrously naive at this point, <laughs> I, I admit. It does. And uh, look, at this is a club that has spent um, basically about £75 million so far this summer on the three players we've brought in. Tavares, yeah. Lukonga, Ben White, £50 million, 17 and a half, eight. And in terms of what we've done with departures, I think we got a £1 million loan fee for Matteo Genduzzi, and they're going to mm. pay us whatever, close to £10 million towards, uh, you know, around this time next year as the obligation. But that's it. That's it. Yeah, it's it's not a lot. And I think a lot of the calculations the club will have made in terms of what they can do this summer will have probably have been with the expectation they would move some of these players on. I mean, you know, we were probably thinking 30 million for Granit Xhaka. We maybe thought 30 million for Joe Willock at one point. Mm. You know, that's already 60 million quid that we currently are not counting on. Then then mm. you add in your Inketias, your Maitland-Niles, what we thought we might get for them, what we thought we might get for Bellerin. You know, it wasn't unreasonable in an ordinary summer to think that Arsenal might bring in 100 million. I know sure. it sounds crazy, but that wasn't hugely unreasonable. Um, we're not going to do that. No. Do you think that maybe in terms of outgoing deals, and I, I accept that the longer it goes, the more it has an impact on what you do in terms of players you bring in. Right, because you've got to find that balance between squad size, uh, influx of cash, you know, yeah. all of those kind of things. I realize that they're, they're sort of all quite related. But if we're looking for incoming deals, we're looking at the start of the season as the, as the crucial point, right? Because you want players in for the opening games. You want the players uh, available for Brentford, for Chelsea, for Man City. When it comes to players we don't really want or aren't really using, or aren't prepared to use, like, you know, a Willian or a Nelson who didn't play very much last season, or Eddie who didn't play a great deal in the second half of last season. You know, uh, Maitland-Niles, I know he went on loan. Kalasinac, you know, we just let him go to help Schalke get relegated uh, and left Mm. ourselves without a left-back. You know, these are guys that that aren't going to make any real tangible difference to our season if they play, does that allow you a bit more wiggle room um, or less, should we be less panicked about the departures at this point, given that the the window is open for basically another month at this point and, and everything else? Maybe, but then I was just worried we end up in a kind of similar situation to what we did last season where we're having to like pay people to go just yeah. to kind of knock down the numbers. I mean, maybe when that was happening last January, uh, we should have been more cautious about in our predictions about you know what we might be able to bring in this summer. Maybe when a club is literally paying people to go away, um, that should tell us something about not only where we are and where the kind of value of our players is, but also what the state of the market is. Do you think that maybe has in some way change the perception of Arsenal as a selling club? Do you think it's had an impact? I mean, Roma, let's remember, had a £10 million bid for Henrik Mkhitaryan rejected by Arsenal last January before the world turned upside down and then Mm. basically got him for £1 as a way of releasing him from his contract. Mm. You know, why is a club 
that's you know that's dealt with us in that way in the past gonna push the boat out for Granite Jacket. They must look at Arsenal and think, well, maybe they're fucking soft touch. We'll just you know stick here and they'll eventually crumble. Do you think that could have been part of what happened with Jacket? Maybe. I mean, it's an interesting thing. Like we all want Arsenal to sell better, but mm. but what does that look like? How 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 does Edu get? 20 million for Alexandra Lacazette or how does he find a buyer for Mohamed Elneny I think I think the problem is I don't think that's easy I don't think you can just go around knocking on clubs saying I've got Reese Nelson here if you want him for 18 million quid or something and just hope that someone eventually buys I think selling's not active in that way I think what it's more about is protecting the value of players and I think that what happened with those players that we had to release or pay off is that we had kind of so severely damaged their value mm. that it was impossible to move them on. You know, I, I think if there's if someone doesn't want to buy a player, there's not that much that Edu or Richard Garlick can do about it. But in the time when they are an Arsenal player, I think there is more that we can do to make them attractive. Mm. And I think that's where the problem is like someone like Kalasinac his value is not salvageable at this point because you know yeah, yeah because we know yeah yeah but like um someone like Nelson maybe or Enketia if they had been sold at a time when they were more attractive or if they'd been sent out on loan mm. to, like Joe Willock and been allowed to gain more experience and put themselves in the shop window you know one, if you leave a player out of your registered squad you're, you're essentially showing you have no value in them so there are things that we could do better to sure. make our players more marketable I don't think I don't think it's fair to be like find a buyer for Kalasanach or whoever it might be because you can't make another team want to pay for a player. <laughs> I wish you could. Yeah. But you can do more to make that player attractive, you know, I think. Or, or less to make them unattractive. Yes, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, on, on the subject of Enketia, by the way, uh, I had a question here on the Discord. Where has it gone, though? Where has it gone? Where? Somewhere. See, they come in so quickly. They come in so bloody quickly. The Land on Discord says, do you think Nketiah is more likely to be a Doniel Marlin or a Benekophobe? And if you don't know, Doniel Marlin, we let him go back to Holland and he's now moving to Borussia Dortmund for about 20 million or so. Um, I suppose what you would say is that, that Marlin left when he was much younger, didn't he? He was about 17 or something when he left. Yeah, 18 maybe. Yeah. You know, and he went back to Holland and did did very well. Um, like I think it's probably more an aphobi kind of thing for Eddie like if you were going to ask me is Eddie and Keddie going to move to Borussia Dortmund for 30 million pounds or 30 million euros I don't think so no. which isn't to say I don't think he can have a good career and score goals I think he will but I don't think at whatever age he is now he's still what 21 um, you know has he quite shown enough uh, yeah, he's 22 now, 22, you know, so he's yeah. 22. So I don't think he's quite shown enough to suggest that he's going to all of a sudden become, you know, uh, not an elite level striker, but 
you know, somebody who a, a club like Borussia Dortmund is going to uh, spend a load of money on. Um, so, yeah, maybe the Afobi comparison is a bit too far the other way, but I don't know. He's had a torrid time, Afobi, hasn't he? He's had serious, serious injury problems mm. and problems in his, you know, some tragedy in his personal life as well. And, and I think... Um, but lest we forget, he went to Wolves and made himself kind of a ten million pound player or something like yeah. it. I think he joined Bournemouth um, or Stoke, was it? I forget. But he, he I think, in Katia, if he can avoid those kinds of uh, debilitating injuries, I think he can have a Premier League career for sure. I think so too. Uh, I think so yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see him at a, a you know a good Premier League club like. Uh, I don't know, you know, West Ham or something like that and making a pretty good career for himself. Um, and he'll always, you know, he'll always be in demand because I think he is a goal scorer, you know, and he mm. does find opportunities in the box and there'll always be a market for players like that. I don't think he's going to be Serge Gnabry based on mm. what we've seen in terms of like regret of letting him go. But I think he's going to be a, a good Premier League player. And I, and I think, but I think it's crucial he takes this step now for his development. I think it's really important. Yeah. Um, okay, here's a question on the Discord from Blair, who says, in a preseason friendly, what is the responsibility of referees to at least protect players from hard tackles like we saw today? There were too many hard tackles coming through the back of players. I don't think the game time is worth it if we're picking up serious injuries in the process. And this is this is the, you know, you've got to get the players ready. You, you can't just use your... Um, kids in preseason it's about getting your senior players fit and ready for for a new season but you know there's always that worry isn't there particularly i think when you set up two fixtures against london rivals there is maybe just a bit more of an edge in games like that than there might be in you know with a game against uh, a team from france or spain or something like that you know what i mean yeah, and fans back in the ground. Maybe that turns the temperature up mm. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people back at the Emirates Stadium for the first time uh, over the weekend. I mean, were there, from what you saw, you saw more of the game than me, were the tackles a bit tasty? There was a couple, in fairness. I don't think there was anything brutal, but there was one, like, when uh, one guy, I can't remember who it was, went through the back of Tierney. Obviously, Partey got injured in a tackle with Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and that, you know, wasn't, like, the worst tackle you've ever seen in your life. And it can happen in training as easily. You know, he went over on his ankle. And again, we're sort of uh, keeping fingers crossed he's okay. But I just felt like the referee yesterday might have just got on top of that a bit earlier. You know, Mm. there was Mm. a couple, I think. There was one where um, could have been Kovacic took out Smith Rowe, one of those where he just sort of ran across him. You know, fairly cynical stuff. And to be fair, Shaka. Uh, put the studs on one of their guys, um, Zappa Costa, I think it was, you know, right. the, the wrong guy. It should be uh, Werner or, or Ziyech or Pulisic or yeah. one of those. One of the good ones, Granite, get one of those. So, yeah, I just think that you run the risk in a game, um, you know, particularly worried about Sunday, to be honest. Um you know, yeah, I know, I, I know. You need the games to be competitive. They need to be competitive games to get the the rhythm and and all that. But you know, there is an intensity and maybe a bit of animosity mm. that the Premier League games bring mm. that's maybe a little bit unwelcome. Um, I, I sort of would agree with that on balance. I think that 
maybe this is a consequence of these kind of Premier League mm. fixtures. But then, to be fair, something we haven't said is with international travel being risky and in some instances prohibited yeah maybe it, that's why we're seeing so many prim, intra-premier league yeah families. i look i can see the logic of it i just you know i just don't care for it yeah 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 um so let's have a look at a, another question this is from seski who's at seski art on twitter and they say do you think a change in playing style is causing more injuries to Partey? Maybe he's always been a bit of a DRB, but has it just been discovered now due to him getting more time on the ball? Mm, that's interesting. We had one from Brad Dennett as well, at Bradley underscore Dennett, who said, is it safe to label Partey as injury prone? Um, if he's not, he's, he's really very unlucky. unlucky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, I, think he, I think he could well just have been very unlucky. You know, certainly yesterday was was bad luck. A challenge, his ankle rolled. You know, it can happen. Um, anyone who plays football knows that, you know, you can even just turn the wrong way and your ankle can go, you know, if you just put your foot down very slightly wrong. So there is an element of bad luck. I think last season, it wasn't so much that he was injury prone as he had an injury that we didn't manage as well as we should have, which then had an impact um, you know, on the rest of the rest of his season, to be honest. So I'd like to think he's not. I think comparisons to Abu Dhabi are a bit uh, over the top, to be honest. Um, but, you know, it's clear he's a really, he's a really important piece of, of the team. And it's really bad news for us as fans. It's really bad news for Mikel Arteta as well. It really is. And I'm not making any excuse for Arteta. I think, you know, he is a manager who is probably going to be under some pressure. Uh, you know. I think he is. And I think actually the lack of the, the sort of degree to which people are disappointed by some of the business that isn't, it looks like, mm. going to happen now is going to contribute to that pressure. Well, um, yeah, I mean. Fairly no, or unfairly? I think fairly. I think fairly because. You know, if you're Mikel Arteta and Edu and you're waking up this morning and you're 10 days away from the start of the new season and the news on Partey isn't great, let's say. Let's say it's three or four weeks, mm -hmm. which will rule him out of the opening three games, probably. And, you know, he's not back until after the international break. And those are three tricky fixtures. And if you're Mikel Arteta and you're Edu and you're sitting there and you're contemplating starting the season with with Granit Xhaka and Mohamed Elneny as your central midfield pairing, with the greatest of respect to both of those players, that is a duo that should not have played together like from a couple of years ago. Like they're not the most compatible anyway, but it was clear a long time ago that this was not the kind of partnership that uh, you know a top-level Premier League midfield club should have. If you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, well, that's what we've got to do, I'd also be thinking, well, fuck, we've A, something's gone wrong here, and obviously the party injury is that, but it should laser focus them on what the team requires in midfield. And look, maybe it'll be Lokonga and Shaka. Maybe it yeah, will. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, when Lokonga was, when Arsenal were first interested in Lokonga, one of the comparisons that was made to me was was Partey in terms of his playing mm. style and 
you know, I think they do potentially view him as a kind of heir, whether or not they think he can kind of do that job right now. I don't know. I mean, Pramod AFC said, is parties niggle a good news in disguise? I'm not saying I'm happy, but I do think it might force them in to force them to bring in another replacement. Yeah. I mean, look, if they're not looking at this and thinking, oh, fuck, then there's, <laughs> there's something really wrong because at the end of the day, Mikel Arteta isn't just the head coach. He is the manager. Mm. And along with the technical director, a big part of their job is buying and selling the players. We know that Arteta is hands-on in that regard. You know, Mm. there's a a lot of talk about various influences over some of our targets, but pretty much all of them are are Arteta-driven, right? Yeah, he's very involved. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So he's green-lighting all this. So if you preside over a summer which sees you start the the season, and I I realise this is potentially a worst-case scenario situation, but with a partnership that has contributed to two successive eighth-place finishes and you go into a new season without improving it in any way, then it, it heaps a load of pressure on you. The injury to Partey is unfortunate, but not doing any other business in midfield to offset the potential damage that one injury can bring to a key area of the pitch, that's on those guys. That's on those guys. Yeah, I mean, maybe Lukonga is that piece yeah, of business. I maybe don't he know. is, yeah, yeah. I mean, but look, he's so, tidy. Yeah, but even so, it comes very early for him. I mean, mm. if Thomas Partey, as we said at the top of the question if he's not injury prone then both he and Arsenal have been hugely unlucky um, in terms of they brought him in to be this crucial Mm. transformational player and we keep losing him Mm. Um, if that's something that's in some way a trait of his and Arsenal could have known more about then of course you can't put that down to poor fortune but uh, I do have a degree of sympathy with them in that this keeps happening (laughs) Um, but yeah look, look I mean Mm. there's definitely room for another central midfield player there, especially if you think that Joe Willock might leave, for example. Yeah, well, look, here's another one. Uh, this is a quite interesting one from the Discord from Ars Ars Baby. Uh, related to Partey's injury, we're seeing a lot of speculation on the severity and potential length of absence based on video and photos. I feel it's a morally grey area even for qualified doctors to be participating in this because no one posting about it online will have 100% accurate information since only the club will have that. I can see this getting to a point where club reports on injured players receive massive backlash because online doctor 469 disagrees with this assessment of the injury. <laughs> what, what is your take on this trend? I think it's kind of always been a thing. Um you know, how many times have you watched a football match and gone, oh, that looks bad? You know, you, you do have a perception of the severity of an injury mm. um, based purely on watching it. And of course, you're often wrong. I think any doctor would say um, that if they're only making an assessment based on a video, it's not going to be a full, thorough and accurate assessment. Mm. And I actually think that most people in the medical profession or physiotherapists tend to know how qualified and how good you have to be to be working at the top level of elite sport. So I think, you know, they would always caveat any assessment they would make online with, you know, the people doing the job are probably in the best position to judge. I I think it's relatively 
harmless, to be honest, and a natural impulse for fans to wonder how long their play is going to be out. What do yeah, you think? I think that it's. I think it's quite interesting in that. You know, it's another little niche of football Twitter yeah. that has developed over the last number of years. You know, um, there have been all kinds. I mean, I think back to, for example, when Michael Cox started his blog, nobody was doing tactics. Exactly. You know, and now it's like, it's de rigueur, I guess. But when Michael set up Zonal Marking as a website, it was this new thing, a new way for uh, for someone to cover the game. Um, and I, I guess look, the game and injuries are different. But I think what's happening is um, you're seeing people with some expertise looking at photos, looking at videos, and suggesting various scenarios and outcomes based on the severity of the injury so it's quite informative almost educational um um dr raj did the one about parte and he was talking about the type of sprain it is and if this happens it could be this if that happens it could be that mm, mm. and i think that's where it is it's nobody nobody's as far as i can see or i certainly haven't come across somebody saying well based on this video thomas parte is definitely going to be out for six weeks you know i'm not seeing that what i'm seeing is um, an explanation of the kind of injury that it is, and based on the severity, some time frames associated with that. So I'm not seeing anybody, you know, declaring this, that, and the other, or, or making definitive judgments on injuries from videos. I mean, if you see a guy with his leg in two, you could probably make a fairly definitive judgment on that. If you're waiting for the results yeah. of an MRI scan, which we're not going to have access to, and nobody's going to have access to apart from the medical people at the club, then, you know, all you can do is, is uh, provide information. And I think that's what it is. And, I, you know, you can either, um, you can look at it or not look at it. If you don't like yeah. it, you know that's that's where I that's where I stand. I think you know there is a uh, the point about it being a morally gray area. I think would apply if you know these guys were saying, "Well, this is what's happened, a hundred percent, definitively." Yeah, yeah, you know. And I think for the most part, that's not what's going on. You know, and, and I think as well when you get into area where you're kind of questioning the authenticity of the medical reports Arsenal are providing, that becomes a bit clouded. Because sometimes it suits them to avoid detail, but I do think generally they are trying to be as transparent as possible. Um, mm. Are you, I mean, on, sorry, on that, I mean, they seem to be quite vague about Gabriel. Yeah. Don't yeah, they? Yeah. There yeah. seems to be a vagueness around that one, which I think is a little bit... Yeah. Well, when they're worrying. vague, I think that's always worrying, I think, mm. because I, I doubt it's that they don't know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, one to watch that one. I don't know anything, but, uh, yeah, they don't seem... It doesn't sound like he's going to be back in a hurry, that's for sure. No, no. Um, um, we had a lot, a lot of similar questions. Have you got one? Yeah, T. Mark said, is passing out the back the hill that Arteta is going to die on? I know this is philosophy, but it seems we still have too many players that are too error-prone to carry this out. Should we ditch it until those players have gone? <sighs> Bellerin, of course, with the area yesterday. Although I feel like with passing out the back, it's never one player's fault. You know, it's. I, I do think that sometimes such an it onus. Is. <laughs> sometimes, it, sometimes is. it is. You know, sometimes the obvious. There's a very simple way of doing it, and the player fails to do it, and therefore it becomes an issue. I mean, I, I suppose you would say that. Okay, are you pragmatic, and and change the way you operate? 
or do you make most of the players comfortable with the principle that you want, with how you want to play, and then replace the guys who aren't that good at it? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I, I think... Like, I think we get worried when we see players make a mistake like Hector made yesterday because it's just so basic. And they always look quite basic, don't they? The errors in a situation like that where perhaps you're susceptible to the high press. Um, But if you play out from the back and you beat the press, the reward is high. Well, it is if you've got players who can counterattack well. And I think actually at times we did that quite well yesterday. So it's not... It's not my biggest worry about this team, to be honest. I think we look relatively comfortable, most of the players, although I go back to my concern about Bernd Leno and some of the passes that he plays to players who are under serious pressure. There were a couple yesterday where, you know, they were the wrong pass. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's just rusty. You know, it's his first game back for a while, but I feel like that's... That's become a bit of an issue for him. Like, I don't think... Like, when when it came to playing out from the back, Leno was a very, very significant upgrade on Petr Cech, right? For sure. But I still don't think it was the strongest part of his game, which I think is no. his shot-stopping. And now it looks as if that playing out from the, ba- from the back thing has become a problem for him. It could be just decision-making or technique or execution. I'm not quite sure, but yeah. it's a bit of a worry. I, 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 it doesn't bother me massively as for the team generally, I have to say. And, you know, for all our concerns about it, I'll reiterate, we, we didn't ship a load of goals last season. Mm. It'd be nice if we cut out the ones that were due to these errors, but they are so much more eye-catching a defensive mistake than the other types of defensive mistake you can make yeah. in terms of positioning or failing to pick somebody up or um, losing a man at a set piece, whatever it might be. Um, and there is at least a kind of a positive reward if the risk pays off with this. I don't think passing out from the back will be the hill Arteta dies on. I do worry that passing around at the back could be the hill that he dies on. Yeah, I feel like the hill that he will or could potentially die on is is the creativity side of things. And we're we're sort of running out of time here right now because um, you've got to go in a second. But, you know, that I think uh, is something we perhaps can discuss in a, in a, you know, another podcast. But I do think it's going to be creativity and scoring goals. That's that's what has to improve. Um, And I know that people talk about the need for a centre half and and playing out from the back and all that kind of stuff. It will contribute to the way that we play. But unless we can address those issues, it won't be the passing out from the back that um, is the, the hill of death. If you like, no. the hill of passing death. out, the hill of death. passing out to the defenders. Mm. I don't have an issue with. It's kind of everything that happens after that. Yeah, progressing <laughs> the ball. Yeah, yeah, getting the ball yeah. up the fucking pitch to somebody who can do something with it. Very quickly before we go, Alexander Love, who's at uh, at Love AJ ninety five on Twitter, says, "How is Gunnar Blog's father in law doing at the Olympics?" Great question. He didn't actually make it in the end. No, they fell at the last hurdle. The Jamaican national team for karate fell at the last hurdle of qualification. No. I know. Sad end to the movie. Um, but uh, he's doing very well nonetheless. He's currently in Turkey on holiday. Okay. So 
you know, I think he, I think he's, I think he's, he's getting over it. All right, cool. Well, look, we got to leave it there for today because uh, James is in a hurry. He's got to go. I'd sit here and talk to you all day, of course. But uh, you know, this is maybe I should just let you do that. I should just leave. <laughs> just leave and see what happens. I'll just yeah. start talking about the things that are on my desk. Ooh, look, Swiss Army knife. Look, it's got the. Got the thing and the thing. No, that could be boring. But look, thank you everyone for being here as always. Uh, thank you for listening, for downloading, uh, and all the rest. Uh, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 